Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Headshot, bang! All right, good to have you with us. Episode 403 of the Anik and Florian podcast, and I'm so happy to be joined by this man. Mixed martial arts fanatic, but Major League Baseball legend. And if you grew up a Boston Red Sox fan, this guy made you cry in your Cheerios a whole lot. Uh, MVP of the 2005 Cape Cod League, three-time Major League Baseball All-Star, Rookie of the Year back in 2008, three-time Gold Glove winner, maybe future Hall of Famer if I have anything to say about it. Evan Longoria, it's good to see you, my brother. Welcome to South Florida. Thank you so much, man. This is, uh, you know, was what not South Florida, Central Florida was my home for, for quite a while, so uh, right. It's always good to be back. My uh, my wife, my wife's family is is from this area, so uh, you know part of it feels like home. And uh, I appreciate the introduction. You must have dug deep, man. You found the uh, you found the 2005 Cape Cod League MVP. Wow. Well, I got a buddy who has a summer house in Chatham, and of course, you play for the Chatham A's. And I actually think at some point during that summer of 05, I was actually in Chatham. I can't say I was at a Cape Cod League game, but yeah, I did come across that on my research. So you flew into South Florida last night and you play the Marlins, I guess, beginning tomorrow. So you got an off day today. Pretty good, right? We do, yeah. My wife and I are going to go to the casino. So that's, uh, that's kind <laughs> of our, our thing to do together. So uh, we were sort of joking over text that we're both avid slot players. When I lived in Las Vegas, I would go to the dirtiest fucking casino <laughs> I could find and just play slots. Maybe not high limit slots like you, but you and your wife like the slots, huh? Yeah, well, I like it a little bit more. She's a poker player, but uh, I don't know. Oh, I, wow. I, I just, I, I got, I got a crazy addiction to it uh, that probably needs a uh, remedy pretty soon. Huh. So I have a lot of baseball stuff that I want to get into, of course, and 
you were really a guy for a lot of us who are American League East fans that we put on a pedestal and you deserve to be on that pedestal. I mentioned the great career numbers against the Boston Red Sox, but we connected largely because you are a rabid MMA fan. And you texted me recently, you were watching UFC 6 on UFC Fight Pass. You were doing the deep dive. But I got to ask, you're, you're younger than me, born in 1985, but when do you recall watching the UFC for the first time and when did you sort of become a hardcore fan? I mean, I feel like the casual fan um, really started to become an, an MMA fan with Conor McGregor, at least for me in my era. Um, you know, when Conor burst onto the scene, I feel like that was when I, I really started to embrace um, all, all MMA, not just, you know, only watching Conor fights, but, but watching, um, you know, the, the rest of the division, his opponents, and, and then um, you know, deeper into, to, to the rabbit hole I went, you know, after that. So probably, you know, what Connor just got 10 years, I think he said, he just posted his 10 years in MMA, 10 years in the UFC. Right. So, um, you know, yeah, I guess 10 years or, you know, it doesn't seem like that, but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been fun, man. The, the, the growth of the UFC has been exponential. Um, obviously love to see it. And, um, I've been to probably over the last, three or four years, at least, you know, two shows a year I try to get to. So it's, it's been fun. Yeah, you're right. April 6, 2013, Conor McGregor made his UFC debut. So just about 10 years and a week. So it's funny because when I read about you and I read about scouts talking about you as a young kid and the way the baseball just ripped off the bat and your hand-eye coordination, I can't help but think in this era of celebrity fights. I mean, at one point, at what point are we going to see you start to throw hands, man? You know, we were we were putting together a tail the tape. BJ Upton, Evan Longoria for charity. I think it would make a lot of money. <laughs> no, nah, nah, BJ's one, uh -huh. of my, one of my good friends, man. I love BJ. But uh you know, it's funny is uh, I, I train with uh, Brandon Harris. I think we've talked about this a little bit. Brandon Harris yeah. is, uh, is Sean O'Malley's trainer, uh, you know, strength and conditioning trainer. And um, he also trains uh, Scott Holtzman and uh, a couple other guys. He's got Bryce Mer uh, Bryce Meredith? No. Yeah. Bryce Meredith. Right? Maybe Bryce. Okay. Yeah. Bryce, I, well, there's Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. I don't know. Bryce, Bryce Meredith is a, is a Bellator guy. He just, just fought his first yeah. fight in Bellator um, last two weeks ago. Anyways, uh, and, and I put the gloves on in there and I, uh, you know, I tried, I try and, you know, throw hands and kicks and stuff. And it's exhausting, man. Like the, after I did that huh. the first time, like the respect that I had, uh, you know, for the ability to go, you know, 30 seconds in a round. And, and I'm not even worried about getting kicked or punched, you know. Um, you know, whole, whole new, whole new level of respect for those guys. I did a tough man competition once when I was pledging a fraternity and it was three, three minute rounds and it was the most exhausting physical initiative of my entire life. And it was nine minutes with three minutes yeah. of break time. So I feel you on that. And I joke about BJ Upton because you guys had a dust up yeah. way back when, I think probably 13 years ago when you kind of thought he wasn't going as hard as he could in center field after a ball in the gap. And uh, yeah. the leader that you were, you were rocking the mullet at that point of your <laughs> career and you kind of uh, walked over to BJ. What do you remember about that dust up? Um, you know, it, it was, it was kind of a long time coming. Um, and, and I just happened to have to be the bad guy in that moment. Um, and, and I felt like, um, everybody, it, it, it weirdly, I mean, I was really close with BJ. Um, so it was just, it was just one of those things where everybody was kind of looking around saying, you know, pointing out the elephant in the room, like, dude, are we going to let him do this again and again and again? And you know what, as I look back now, BJ was probably running hard. 
he just run, he just ran really easy and you know, yeah. it, it just made it look like he wasn't running hard. <laughs> um, That's funny. but yeah, no, I just, I just, you know, I, I had to be that guy in that moment where I, I kind of called him out and, uh, he didn't appreciate that, you know, I did it during the game and, uh, in front of everybody and, you know, words were exchanged, but that was it. I mean, that was pretty much the end of it after the game. So you're in your 16th Major League Baseball season. You live in Arizona. And what a great thing for you and your family that you were able to sign a one-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks after spending a few years with the San Francisco Giants. I'd imagine you would have had a lot of suitors. It sounds like this was very much your choice, um, but you aren't playing every day necessarily right now. There are plenty of clubs that would employ you as a starting third baseman every single goddamn day. So what led to that decision to, to play at home and sign that one-year deal? Um, mainly that playing at home, you know, yeah. just, uh, that was first and foremost, uh, we, we had, um, a couple of other teams that we were pretty deeply involved with. Um, but they just, you know, the, the fit was perfect. And I, I told my wife, um, when I, because I'll be honest with you, I was, I was, you know, 60, 40 at the beginning of the year, um, on whether I was going to play or not and 60% being not. Um, and I just said, you know, if we're going to do this, like I I've been in San Francisco for five years now, it's, it's been like a lonely five years, to be honest with you, you know, like my, my family was in Arizona for, for most of the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm spending the time on the road alone. Um, and, and I, at the end of it, I was just like, man, do I really want to do this anymore? Like it's, it's just becoming more of a job than, than fun. You know, like I, I played this game for a long time and I enjoyed every minute of it. And now it just seems like it's becoming so, so tedious to do this every day. And so, um, I said, the opportunity has to be right. You know, we, we have to make this kind of a family thing because it feels like, uh, when it's like that, it's more enjoyable for me you know, to, to not uh, be able to see them. And we have a one-year-old now, we have a 10, eight and one. And so, you know, I, I, I've missed basically all of, not, not all, but you know, a lot of milestones for my kids um, over those years. And so with this one-year-old, I just kind of said, I, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I want to be able to, um, obviously we'll be on the road a little bit, but I want to be able to catch those milestones at home. And so this was, you know, just a perfect fit for us. Evan Longoria with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Third overall pick by the Tampa Bay, then Devil Rays, I believe, in the 2006 Major League Baseball draft. Actually, maybe it was the Rays by then. But it's a tremendous career, and our executive producer, Cody Merrow, huge baseball fan growing up in New Hampshire. We were talking off the air. For about a half a decade, you were the standard. You were the best third baseman in baseball. You were an all-star your first three years in the league, rookie of the year. Here you are, year number 16, 333 career home runs, coming up on 2,000 career hits. I got to imagine overall, and I'm sure you're your harshest critic, but how do you feel overall about your Major League Baseball body of work as you as you enter the final year or two of your career? Um, I, sorry, you cut in and out there for a second, but um, I will say this. I'm, I'm super grateful, obviously, as I have, um, you know, more time to kind of reflect on my career. Um, you know, to be able to do this for so long has been, um, you know, a true joy. And, and obviously like now it's, it's more, uh, I, I don't necessarily think about the, the personal statistics. I mean, those are, there's, those are always in the back of my mind, but you know, like we were talking about a little bit before the show, it's like, I look at it now as my goal to try and take this Arizona Diamondbacks team to, well, not necessarily me, but you know, we, we've got all these young, young guys running around that are going to, you know, 
be the ones to, to carry us to, to that destination. Um, but to, to be a part of that um, would be pretty special. Um, I don't know if this will be my last year. I, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to think about that. I'm trying to think of, you yeah. know, go day by day and, and just enjoy. I mean, I've had, um, you know, kind of the opportunity here to, um, you know, be put in a role where uh, they, uh, kind of find, you know, ho- hopefully can find the, the best success for me and keep um, me on the field the whole year to try and have, um, you know, a, a great year all around. So um, it's been great. And, um, you know, again, the, the, the personal stuff, um, yeah, it, it would be cool. I mean, I do think about the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's, it's, the, the, this is probably the first year that I've ever thought about that, you know, um, because I have, you know, more people mentioning it, Hey, you're getting close, you know, this number, that number, like, if you, you know, if you can do this, you might get there. And it's like, yeah, um, I've never thought about that. So I try to, I try to keep it out of my mind. I just did a deep dive on Scott Rowland because Nomar Garcia Parra, who is behind me, uh, immortalized forever, was my favorite player. And he came up with Scott Rowland. And when Scott Rowland got into the Hall of Fame, it made me think about my good friend Evan Longoria because the numbers are pretty similar. You have more home runs. Looks like depending on playing time in the next few years, you'll probably pass him for hits. But it's an exciting conversation. And I do think you're going to get consideration. And I lead the dance with the fact that for five or six years, you were the best third baseman in Major League Baseball. But a lot of our audience wants to hear about the UFC a little bit. So you're 10 and you're eight year old. To what extent do they pay attention to your baseball career? And to what extent do they pay attention to the UFC? They, they've, they've gotten more involved in my baseball career as I mean, probably the last three years, you know, again, in San Francisco, they, they weren't there a whole lot. Um, they watch my wife watches on TV, you know, so they follow along with that. Um, I, I'm almost thankful that they're not super invested because it's, it tears me apart when they're sad, you know? And so like, if, if we're losing or if I'm not doing well, like I don't really want them to be like prying at me, you know, for, Oh, what, you know, what's, what's going on? Why haven't you gotten hit? Why is the team losing? You know? So they're supportive in the best ways possible. Um, but thankfully, you know, they're not, they're not asking me, the deep questions yet. Um, and, and as far as UFC, right, right. um, I, I put it on, I, I don't have any problem, uh, you know, letting them watch it. Um, but they're, they're not, they're not super into it. Uh, yeah, my, both of them, we, we tried to put them in a little, in some combat sports, some, uh, um, it was, a uh, kind of like a boxing BBJ, uh, class, uh, BJJ, sorry. Uh, class where, you know, they would do like 30 minutes of, of boxing and 30 minutes of, of uh, jujitsu. And so they, they didn't really take to it. Um, but, you know, at least they were exposed to it. Yeah, no, that's exactly same with us. I'm just going to keep throwing it at him and see if eventually it'll stick. So you played in seven. I can't help myself with the baseball stuff. You played in seven of the possible 13 games. I'm obviously tracking your box scores. You had a huge pinch hit home run earlier this year that nearly produced a win. So that role, how are you enjoying that role? And when I look at a series like this in Miami, if a guy like me wants to make sure that Longoria is in the starting lineup, like, I'm planning my whole weekend around you playing. So do you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, how much notice you have as to whether or not you're going to be in the lineup? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I basically play against every left-handed starter. Um, so I think we're, I think we're going to face two, two left-handed starters here in Miami. So um, I'll at least be in there for those. And um, I mean, it's, it's, 
after that, I think it's kind of like uh, if I've got some history against a right-hander, like I might be in there against him. Um, you know, I, I faced Corbin Burns the other day uh, unsuccessfully. But, uh, you know, uh, there's some guys that, that I'll be in there against. And, again, you know, I think as we progress in the season, um, you know, there'll be more opportunity. And, I mean, look, the team's playing really well. Like, we're, we're um, you know, right where we need to be, I think, um, in terms of the guys who are out there and the way that the matchups are lined up right now. And so, um, you know, that was the one thing as I came into this season. Like, all I care about is winning, you know. Like, so however yeah. we can do that and however – um, you know, this, this team is, is built best to, to win games. Like, you know, I'm all for that. So I think, um, you know, maybe the role will evolve as the season goes on, but, um, you know, without a doubt against every lefty, um, you know, in the starting lineup, whether it's, uh, as a, as a DH or, or, uh, you know, starting at third. I love it. Love seeing that dugout react when you hit that pinch hit home run in the ninth inning uh, about a week ago. They're just all so happy for you. It's kind of weird seeing you as an elder statesman because you're so goddamn young to me, you know, but they see you as such. <laughs> I'm not that much younger than you, am I? You're in your mid... What, yeah, you? Seven, eight years, you know, but that's a big deal, right? I'll be 45 <laughs> in July, so 1978, yeah, yeah. you know. So yeah. you played with a lot of different hairstyles throughout your career. I mentioned the mullet. I'm going to go to a video right now uh, that I came across this morning. And I, I found out that this video is not necessarily real. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a viral video that has been ingested by almost 25 million people when your lettuce was flowing all the way down to your shoulders. But basically, it looks like, yeah, here Evan, we go. Roll it, Cody. changes this offseason <laughs> like for your this. team. How do you feel your chances are in the AL East? Um, I mean, I love our chances. You know, it's been... Uh, been... My connection is so bad. Are you guys seeing me okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the thespian shops. Come on, guys. Keep it on the field. I mean, you absolutely nailed that. I pushed it out on Twitter this morning, and then I got all these replies that said it was fake. So I know you're not going to break any news on that front, but uh, what can you tell us about that amazing viral video? Yeah, I mean, it was a. I, I shot a commercial for Gillette um, for like eight hours that day, and uh, I don't think the Gillette commercial has been seen once. I think, um, you know, that, that video huh. was like at the end of the day, they said, uh, you know, we got this idea for a viral video, um, you know, I, and I was exhausted and I said, I, I'm, I'm done, you know, and they're like, look, it'll take five minutes. Just come over here. Um, we want you to stand in this field. Um, you know, the girls here, all you got to do is pretend like you're doing an interview and, uh, you know, hold the ball in your hand. And, um, you know what? I, I'm, I'm actually like probably breaking news to people that this is fake because I, I literally get people to ask me every day, Hey, is that video real? Still? I mean, that video is, is what, 15 years old, probably. Um, right. but yeah, no, I just, I stood there, I held the ball in my hand and, uh, uh, you know, did, did the whole acting bit and, um, you know, people believed it. People still believe it. Yeah. No, I had to watch it a few times and then I said, wait a second, that's too good to be true. So just to give our UFC fans sort of a lens into how you watch a UFC pay-per-view during the season, right? So April 8th, 
UFC 287 in Miami. You guys have a home game, I believe. Either way, you're on the West Coast. So do you then watch that pay-per-view like that night, even if you have a day game the next day? How is that navigation for you for the big UFC fights while you're in the middle of your baseball season? Um, I had that one propped up in my locker, actually, um, and paused. So I just, uh, I, I, I watched, um, the last, I think two fights, uh, we, we it, the timing was such that, you know, I think the main card started like maybe an hour before our, no, maybe like half hour before our game started. So, um, it was happening right, right through the game. And so I, I kind of just, uh, had it, uh, at the, um, at the Masvidal fight and, uh, and just kind of held it there and then, and then watched the, the, the last two, um, fights after the game and then went back and, and watched the rest. I didn't actually get to watch the whole card. Um, yeah, but I, I watched, um, I watched Yanez, Font Yanez, um, Masvidal oh, yeah. and, uh, and Burns and then the, uh, and then the Adesanya fight. That's, that's the card you're talking about, right? Sorry. It's, it's kind of cutting out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. No, that's okay. All right, last thing before I let you go. Jake Paul, Nate Diaz gets announced. They're going to box on August 5th, the zone pay-per-view. I saw you crack a little smile there. To what extent <laughs> is that offering on your radar, and, and will you be purchasing that pay-per-view? Look, man, I think I, I actually dislike the Paul brothers quite a bit. Like, you know, I, I, the whole stick, like, I, I, I've never, like, I've never met the guys, you know. But now I, I have quite an appreciation for what they've done um, in, in combat sports. Um, I mean, you know, I, I listened to the uh, to the Teddy Atlas podcast uh, with you guys yesterday, um, and you know him talking about how you know boxing got is kind of stagnated with the way that they make they match make and um, you know just just the the way that uh, fights happen they don't happen on time when they should um, you know the, the best guys are not fighting the best guys and I'm not saying that you know Jake Paul by any means is, is the best guy out there he's the most entertaining guy right now one of you know um, we're gonna get the Tank Davis uh, you know Ryan Garcia fight coming up um, but uh, again I think uh, I don't and I don't follow boxing all that much so um, for me like as a as a casual boxing fan like those fights are more intriguing to me than you know right. uh, uh, I mean I'll watch the Tank Davis fight for sure but um, yeah like I'll I'll watch fights like that you know all the time um, for sure I'll, I'll, I'll watch that one I'm, I'm a big and Nate's not my favorite in the UFC but or he was in the UFC, but uh, he's he's up there. You know the personality, the uh, the, the the no nonsense. Like he is who he is. Like him and his brother. I mean, I I, I definitely have pulled for Nate. Uh, I was you know borderline maybe pulling for Nate against Connor or uh, you know the last time he fought Connor. Um, so yeah, it'll be uh, that'll be an interesting fight to watch. Um, I, I just saw an interview with um, uh, gosh. Uh, who was it that just fought in a boxing match? The Jose Aldo thing. Was there a another guy that was saying he just uh, fought or he just he was sparring with Nate Diaz and said that Nate's going to be a you know could be a tough test for for Jake and obviously the pressure and everything. So um, it was um, was it the guy who fought Aldo, Jeremy Stevens? No, no, it was the guy's a legend boxer, um, probably a couple years older than me. Any, anyways, he was just basically you know, saying the same thing that we all see out of Nate Diaz, you know, the pressure, yeah. the, 
the uh, the unorthodox style, um, you know, the gas tank, like all of that, you know, could make for a long night for, for Jake Paul. So, um, yeah. yeah, definitely looking forward to that. And it'll be at 185 pounds. And we look forward to whether it's three or four years down the line when Evan Longoria crosses into the MMA media space and we're doing a podcast together. But it's been great to have you in this MMA world, brother. Sincerely, I wish you all the best this weekend. I hope to see you in Miami. And, uh, dude, you're crossing over to the dark side once you retire, bro. I got I got one more thing for you. I, I really Please. because because you guys have been so good to me uh, in terms of making the picks on the main event. Um, I wanted to make my pick for uh, – for, yes, uh, Allen and uh, Allen and Holloway. Um, Talk to me. I, so I, I, I trying to, I was trying to dig into it. I mean, obviously, like I, I, the short of it is, I'm, I got to go with Max Holloway. I mean, I, I think um, the resume speaks for itself. I mean, what his last is the, the only losses that he have has uh, recently are to Dustin Poirier, and then you know what, three times, three times to Volkanovski. Um, so you know, I, I think he's he's fought the better guys. I mean, obviously Arnold Allen's on a crazy, on a crazy run. Um, I would have loved to see the cater fight finish, um, mm. with, with Arnold Allen. I mean, I think that would have probably given, uh, you know, maybe bookmakers and, and fans a better idea of how that fight, um, might play out. But, um, you know, obviously Ayer Rodriguez is, is now a champion and, um, and, you know, Max, uh, you know, won that fight so uh it, it should be an exciting fight but uh, i'm gonna go with uh, i'm gonna go with blessed you're wise to bring up that max holloway yaya rodriguez fight because that win has aged in a great way for holloway given the way yaya looked against josh emmett my whole thing and i can't bet i can't even get too predictive like i just wouldn't be betting against arnold allen right he's 10 and 0 in the ufc i know he's been inactive i would probably lay off of that fight and find another one on the board. But that's good insight from you. And at least so far on our airwaves, we haven't found anybody uh, who is picking Arnold Allen to uh, to beat Max. All right, Evan Longoria, I hope to see you in Miami this weekend. Really appreciate your support, and uh, you're the fucking man. Thank you for the time today. Enjoy the day off, all right? Right on, guys. Thank you. There he is. Arizona Diamondbacks third baseman slash designated hitter Evan Longoria with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. It's interesting because he's Longo, right? And yet... In our world, it seems like there's really only one Longo to that end. Let us bring on the great Raymond Peter Longo as we give you your second Ray Longo minute of the week. Oh. Longo to Longo. That's a <laughs> rare transition. Uh, th- is that crazy? Eva Longoria, Evan Longoria? Yeah. That's why. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy-schmancy, tilt-sip, smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule-breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. You know, when Evan Longoria made the all-star team in 2008, Eva Longoria sent Evan Longoria a bottle of champagne and said, keep doing right by the name. Because for years, Evan Longoria had to hear all about Eva Longoria. And yeah. uh, look what he's done for that surname. So how exactly. are you doing, brother? 
Not bad today. Not bad. How are you, John? I'm doing great. So I wanted to grab a little bit of extra time with you because we didn't get into a few things that I would have liked to yeah. have gotten into UFC 287 wise, some Aljamain Sterling stuff on the back end as well. I wanted to talk to you about Raul Rosas Jr. At 18 years of age, suffers his first career loss to Christian Rodriguez. I thought this was a good job by the matchmakers giving Raul Rosas Jr. an appropriate test against a fellow prospect. I think the ceiling's pretty high on C-Rod here moving forward, but Sean O'Malley and others have now suggested that Raul Rosas Jr. take time off to develop. And we've seen other fighters do this in the past with varying degrees of success. But Raul Rosas Jr. is not going to be 19 until October. So if this was your pupil, I know you felt like it was a little silly that he was getting fast-tracked to begin with. But given what we saw Saturday night, like what do you do with this 18-year-old now moving forward? Yeah, I, I do think he's got to take a step back. Uh, he's got certainly has the time to do it, right? So why why rush somebody? I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, John, because if he would have gotten that submission in the first round, we're having a completely different conversation. But I think it's a blessing in disguise because that was going to run out eventually. So why not have it happen now and, you know, and try to fix some things? Because rounds two and three, he looked like a kid. You know what I mean? He was just, even physically, like maturity-wise, uh, he just – he looked like a 25-pounder to me. He's just getting ragdolled and uh, you could see, you know, listen, to not have a gas tank at – at 19 years old is crazy. So, you know, there's other things going on there, I think. But, uh, you know, I think up until this point, everything's been age appropriate. Like even, even a thing with Aljo, that was like total bullshit. I remember talking to Aljo, like, uh, you know, he's Aljo's a good guy. You come into the gym, you're rolling with right. him. Next thing you know, somebody's, they're going hard. Aljo says, I look up, his father's filming it. Like, he's like, oh, is that what we're doing? Like, you know, like, you know, so I'm going to say it's immaturity. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you could see how bad that looks now. Yeah. And even his statements, right, going back to it. But uh, I think give the kid a little chance to grow up, uh, you know, physically and mentally. I, yeah. I, I think that's what I saw. Even, even, you know, even his corner. I think it's great to have your mom in the corner, but you're in the big leagues now, man. If she can't add something to that. Oh, I agree. You know, you know he, he didn't get any he didn't get any corner advice in that thing, right? What they say, you got to yeah, keep going, try to get to his neck. I, mean, I forget what they were saying, but there, there was nothing there. So I think he's got to take this time now because it's going to be hard to match him up. You know, they brought in a newcomer who, who that kid was squared away. He beat one of my guys on the local scene. He's very, uh, very talented guy. Uh, but it definitely wasn't an overreach. Based no. on what, what they thought the, this kid's ceiling was. So, yeah, I think he's got to take a little time off. And uh, I think he got humbled. Let's see how he handles that. Again, with John, when you're, when you're 18, 19, dealing with stuff that, you know, you don't have, like, the defense mechanisms or you don't have the life experience to deal with, it's it's rough. So yeah. I think they got to be careful with him. But, uh, you know, he's definitely talented. But they're going to have to take a step back, I think, and, you know, uh, square away a couple of things in this game. He looked like like the stand-up was non-existent. He's got a lot. It's just he, he can improve a lot. Why rush it? You know what I mean? That, that's where I'm coming from. There are probably 80 Bantamweights on the roster right now. And unlike some of these other divisions, the number 79th ranked 135-pounder in the UFC, it stands to reason, is a real problem. So it's not as though, to your point, there are any easy outs in the right. UFC necessarily. 
But I agree with everything out of your mouth, especially when it comes to the immaturity. And I have said on these airwaves many times, at 27 years old, I could not get out of my own way. I could not pay my own rent. And that is nine years later in my life than where he is at right now. Yes. But his first fighter meeting with us, Ray, I felt like he was humble. He was gracious. He was interpreting the English language to his parents. And then our second fighter meeting. Still came in with a camera crew the first time, but second fighter meeting this past weekend, he comes in with this whole crew and says he's ready to challenge Aljamain Sterling and the best guys in the world right now. He referenced that video and it seemed like all the humility had evaporated. So now I think some of that will return. I think there will be a little bit of humble pie. It looked like he was actually talking to me, Rob Dwalish Willie. I don't know if you saw the photo in Las Vegas after the fight at the UFC PI. So perhaps yeah. your guy, Marab, can uh, can talk some sense into him. But I do think, by and large, some developmental time, as opposed to getting back into a training camp and fighting in three or four months, would be just what the doctor ordered. So Yeah, without a doubt. And I tell you, if there's a guy to talk to, because I've seen him do it, it's it's Marab, man. He's just, like I always told you, he's very practical and, you know, humble and, you know, comes from humble beginnings. And his advice is literally, John, always dead on. I'm sure, I'm sure that kid really appreciated whatever little time he spent with Marab. Yeah. So a few other things I want to get into with you on UFC 287 and time permitting, I am going to ask you about Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. So that gives you a little time yeah, to think yeah, yeah. about that. But now that we've had a little bit more time to digest this Israel Adesanya win, I went on first take Monday and suggested that this is one of the biggest singular wins in MMA history and yeah. the psychology of being down three nil. And not waiting and letting Alex Pineda fight Robert Whitaker, right? Making sure that you controlled the history. As daunting a task as this was, and now not only did Adesanya control the history, but he makes the best kind of history and, and has, I think, of all the four wins in this series, the most significant of them, this knockout of Pineda last weekend. Yeah, John, I, 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 you know, I'll tell you, I'm, as the days go on, I'm more blown away like each day when I think about it. And I was 100% wrong. I picked Alex to win. I thought he was coming back too soon. Uh, but after watching that knockout, he 100% dragged him in, covered up, took whatever he had, and man, when he he unloaded, he unloaded. So, I, you know, like again, you're saying this psychologically. How do you you're down kind of three zero, you know, one and zero, and obviously in MMA, but you've been knocked out, you've been stopped twice. Coming back on a short notice like that, I think speaks volumes to where this guy is mentally, man. Like I have a, I have a total different appreciation for him. Like I always know he was talented and was obviously one of the great, great fighters. But this was different, man. To be, he put his balls on the line, man. Yeah, you know, you know, no risk, no reward type of thing. And he deserves every lot he gets from this because this was not. I didn't see it as it's it's hard enough to lose to a guy and come back and beat him, right? In boxing, they always said that was the definition of greatness. Is the is the is that you know like Sugar Ray Robinson? He would come back and beat guys that beat him. This this was big, man, and he did it in short notice. I I'm, I don't know why I'm going with boxing, but I, I almost think like when Duran beat Leonard, you know, Leonard wanted that rematch as quick as possible because he knew the weight would be a problem for Duran. Like, yeah. I don't know if that played into it because, you know, the other guy's huge. And obviously, I think he said he's going up to 205 now. But I'm saying 
genius on this, but you know, you could be smart, but you still got to be able to execute. And holy shit, did he execute oh. at a time when I thought, John, that it was not going his way. You know what I mean? So hats off to him, man. And I think psychologically I'm given that's the biggest takeaway for me is where this guy is at mentally. That this is this is a different cat for sure. He's a mental giant. And although some people Many people would still argue Anderson Silva as the greatest middleweight champion in UFC history. Look at all this man has accomplished in five years. He made his UFC debut February of 2018. And look at the wins list. Anderson Silva's on it. Yoel Romero is on it. Robert Whitaker, the future Hall of Famer, is on it twice. Marvin Vittori, Paolo Costa, Jared Cannonier, Derek Brunson, all the guys that have comprised this era and flirted with the top five. He's beaten all of these guys, and I think he's won maybe eight title fights in a span of five years. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and Joe, you know, you know, you know, all of this stuff too, it's it's really where you're at in like uh you know, who's pushing you, where the media is at, you know what I mean? Who's behind you, who's not behind you. Anderson Silva had a great push at a great time. But I, I think what you just laid out makes it pretty obvious that Izzy's, Izzy's the man. I mean, I don't know. And, and you obviously you're going to get a lot of, you know, blowback from people that loved Anderson Silva. And, sure. and of course, Anderson Silva was a great fighter. But I think when you put down you know, what you just laid out with the opponents and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's might be a no brainer, you know what I mean? But, uh, like you never know which way the media is going, how much push you get. Uh, the company was definitely behind Anderson Silver, it seems more than Izzy, believe it or not, but that could just be me. Cause you know, I'm not following everything, you know, every second of the day, but No one's going to argue Leon Edwards as the greatest welterweight of all time. I actually think it would be interesting to see a prime George St. Pierre fight a prime Leon Edwards, but Leon hasn't lost in forever. And Kamar Usman was a guy who a lot of people started to talk about in those GSP terms. And he's got two head-to-head wins over him, both of them with their own sort of value. So I don't know. I just think based upon what I have seen from Israel Adesanya and based upon the era in which he's competing – for me, I think it can be argued that he's the greatest UFC middleweight champion of all time. But it's it's a cosmetic conversation yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it is. And I'll tell you, you know, with, with a lot of this stuff with Leon, Usman, and everything, like, like if you favor boxing, you're going to look at every fight from a boxing perspective. If you're a kickboxer, it's a kickboxing. But, you know, if you're a wrestler, it's a wrestling perspective. So if you're a striker, yeah, Leon Edwards, you know, by far what he's done is unbelievable. You know what I mean? If you're a wrestler, you're probably going to lean towards Uzma. I think it's human nature, but, uh, you know, they're, they're all just great fighters, man. I don't even like having those conversations because I think they, I don't know, they're unfulfilling. These guys, yeah. you know, you, you put your balls on the line and you rattle off 11 wins in a row. I mean, just statistically, that's not easy to do, you know? So Alex Pedeta has said his next fight is going to be at 205 pounds, but he also qualified it by saying that he can make 85 whenever he needs to. And that is absolutely the case. He methodically got himself to a position where he has now mastered this weight cut. I don't expect him to all of a sudden put on a bunch of weight 
in order to realize success at 205. I wouldn't be surprised to see him bounce between divisions. But let's get to Israel Adesanya. Eugene Behrman and others have talked about who might be next for him. Seemed as though Eugene Behrman, I believe in a conversation with Ariel Helwani, was very dismissive of Hamzat Chimaev as the number one contender because Hamzat hasn't competed at 85. And I know your guy Chris Weidman still has to get through this comeback <laughs> fight in July, but... Chris Weidman is a future Hall of Famer. He has one of the biggest names in this division. He was the guy that vanquished Anderson Silva back in 2013. So if Chris Weidman comes back in July and say he fights like Sean Strickland and beats a guy like that, it ain't out of the realm of possibility that your guy Chris Weidman could find himself back in a uh, middleweight championship situation against Israel Adesanya. I'm just saying. Am no, I crazy? No I, 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 no, I don't think you're crazy. I think that's the nature of the sport. You know, I mean, I think that's how... Alex even got the shot, right? He, he didn't have a lot of experience, but, you know, there was a storyline behind there and it played out to Alex's favor. And now, now it played out to Izzy's favor. But, you no, know, Weidman, look, I don't, you know, with the injury, I talked to him after the uh, submission match. He said he, you know, he, he, was, he was happy to be back in there. He tested his leg. Even though it didn't go his way, it was still, it was a positive experience for him. And uh, look, man, these injuries. Oh. That this this is brutal, man. I look. If anybody could do it, it's fucking Weidman. I mean, I just, you know, he is getting older, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I I could tell you if he was younger, there's absolutely no question in my mind what what happens, right? You know, so it, it, there's still a lot on the table for him. But he did say he felt great, and it was great to be back in there. And uh, yeah, no, look on every given. I, I've never seen the guy really have a problem in the training room with it, like any wrestling guy that's still good. He still competes, man. You know what I mean? He's still in that, you know, he, he still has it. So well, he's not going to accept the number 40 guy in the world and they're not going to offer him the 40th ranked middleweight in the world. Wyman's going to be 39 years of age in June, but it's not yeah. out of the realm of possibility that he fights someone like Roman Delize or Drikus Duplessis, potentially trying to help build one of those guys to see if they can take out the former champion. I don't know. I didn't plan to go down this wide yeah, and deep yeah, yeah. dive with you today, but I, as I was thinking about guys like Roman Delize and the lack of an obvious number one middleweight contender right now, I hearken back to a conversation I had with Weidman in Miami. He was there as a guest fighter, and uh, crazier things have happened is all I'm saying. Now, in yeah, terms my, of Adesanya, go ahead. Yeah, in my last conversation with him, I, I thought that Drick is, I, if I'm saying his name right, I thought that that's the fight for him. I all like right, that so fight for him. Duplessis just had surgery for a deviated septum, but knowing – <clears throat> Knowing the South yeah. African Duplessis the way I do, he's not going to yeah. idle. He's probably going to try to fight in July. And I think a Weidman Duplessis fight makes a lot of sense. Now, Adesanya won't even utter the South African's name, and it seems like there is already sort of a foundation for those two fighting. You know, Adesanya taking exception, I think, with his Africanism or whatever it is, right? Um, yeah. But Duplessis needs another fight. I really firmly believe that even though he hasn't lost in the ufc yet and he is fresh meat so to speak i think duplessis got to have one more fight so oh without a doubt yeah. like, that's a i i look that no offense these the guy's a gamer seems like a great guy but that's an easy fight for izzy that there's no question about it I, that's he's, right. he's definitely doesn't to me and i'm not this i'm not criticizing it just doesn't look like he's ready for that level especially john what we saw saturday night the guy's on another level to me at this point he really is that was that was a biggie 
Yeah, I think other than Robert Whitaker, Adesanya's going to be minus 300 or north of that against any of these 185 pounders. And I do believe that Duplessis is just getting started. Yes. Ma- uh, Mornay Visser's a great coach, but I do think more developmental time is needed. Yeah. I have talked to Duplessis about just getting a five-round fight before he gets to a championship fight, and I think that's a big initiative for him. South Africa's not getting done in 2023. I think even 2024 is ambitious, but we'll see what happens. One thing that the Adesanya camp, though, has talked about is not trotting out one of these guys that he's fought before. And even though Paolo Costa and Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier are all riding winning streaks, those guys are not going to be next. I don't think a Whitaker trilogy is going to happen right now, even though certainly I would sign up to see that fight every day of the week. Some people have suggested that maybe Adesanya could move up to 205 right now and fight Jamal Hill. I think there's enough going on at light heavyweight where you don't need to inject Adesanya into the equation. But it is interesting because, as I said on Monday, for the first time in Adesanya's career, he didn't have any motivation to spin it forward on fight night. And as we've sort of outlined here, there isn't an obvious number one contender unless I'm missing someone. Look, I think the only fight to make it 85, I don't care if he's fourth there or not, is Hamzad. That, I do that's too. The, that's the only fight to make. I, you, all the other names you mentioned, they're not beating them. You know what I mean? The Jamal Hill fight is interesting, but I, man, I that that's that's a that's a big step up too. Well, like but, Islam Makhachev's first title defense was a super fight fighting another champion, and are they going to do that again? Right. Not to say that Adesanya isn't worthy. He was reluctant, actually, to fight Jan Bohovic when he moved up and did it. That seemed to be more spearheaded by Eugene Behrman, if memory serves. But I don't know that Adesanya wants to go belt chasing at 205 necessarily right now. But with the lack of an obvious number one contender, if Yuri Prohaska is not healthy, would you be surprised to see Jamal Hill and Izzy fight in three or four months? I know they're boys, but I wouldn't be surprised. No, oh, I didn't even know they were boys, but... uh uh, that wouldn't surprise me, but I'm telling you, the fight to make is Hamzad. That, no, and I agree. You and I make, are aligned, you know? even though yeah. Hamzad Shimaev hasn't competed at 85 in the UFC. He's the number one welterweight contender as far as I'm concerned with respect to Bilal Muhammad and everybody else. Hamzad yeah. Shimaev is leaving the division as the number one contender. I wouldn't be surprised if he is given every opportunity. Whitaker sort of intimated that Hamzad has a hard time moving around, so perhaps that's part of uh, the issue. Hey, I want to switch gears here if I could because Aljamain Sterling is like 23 days out from his next title defense. Is that right? Yep. One thing that I had in my notes, and even though Aljo had a win over Piotr Jan, in terms of the mindfuck going into that Jan rematch, I drew a parallel between mentally what Izzy had to deal with being down 3-0 and what Aljo had to deal with. I know the situations are completely different. But when we were going into that rematch, we talked about all the mental resolve and fortitude that Aljo was going to need to get through that training camp and that fight. And obviously, he got through it all with flying colors. I guess it's a long-winded way of me saying I see Aljamain Sterling on that mental level with Israel Adesanya. And he wasn't always that way. And now I see Aljamain Sterling as being maybe, you know, the mentally toughest guy at 35 next to my guy, Dom Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, Aljo, look what he did. Uh, you know, I think the stars are aligning like very correctly for Aljo. Everything, you know, he got a little older. He's got more experience. He's got the experience in the octagon also. Uh, but again, I, I was there. I mean, the the hatred that was uh, 
thrown towards him. Uh, it's for a year. I mean, it was. I, I'm saying you have to be a special guy to, to be able to absorb that. And I think Aljo's personality is the exact personality you need. He's he's really just a nice guy. There's not. I don't think that I have said this. I don't think there's a malicious bone in his body. You know what I mean? And he's having a great time. He's in a great spot. I think he's grateful for everything he has right now. And, you know, moving forward, I think it's just going to make him a tougher fighter because he's going to be free to, you know, take chances and do what he wants. Because I think if it if everything ended tomorrow, he's a happy camper. Right. You know, but so I think that's what makes him dangerous. But, yeah, no, I think. Just like, uh, you know, the Izzy thing obviously is a little different because Aljo was a legally need. But uh, I think, like, again, you know, I remember having a conversation with Aljo. Did the diet really, did that breakfast thing really mess you up? Because if it, if you're telling me the truth, then I don't think we have to change much. But if you tell him, you know, if you're not really sure, then we got to go back to the drawing board. And he said, 100%, it'll never happen again. Wow. I was way off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really had a hard to hard talk with him. And, he, he's an honest dude. He's going to tell you exactly what he's thinking and feeling. So I knew at that point, even after that conversation, we had a different fight. How about you rocking the old school bad boy threads? Is that a Chris Weidman bad boy edition or what? This, this is definitely a Weidman bad boy uh, yeah. <laughs> edition. That's pretty shout amazing. Out to, shout out to Chris Weidman. He said some very nice words about me. Uh, during the Q and A, you like so, that? Uh, yeah. I got to give him. A, I got to give him a call on that. Yeah, you know? that was cool. Un unfortunately, John. That was then. Those days, those days are disappearing. You know, this well, newer generation you know is crazy. But his words really resonated with me because you're a phone call guy, and I'm not sitting here suggesting that I'm one of your fighters. But there's a lot of things that happen in my life as a public figure that you've supported me on, calling me, making sure that I'm okay. And so when he said that in front of three thousand people or whatever it was, it really struck a chord with me because I said he's that guy even to non-fighters, right? Just going the extra mile, and you're gonna call Chris today, right? Instead of just yeah. sending him a text message, right? You're actually gonna call the guy. So. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, I, I might send him a text. So right, you can to... send him a text. All right. That's fine. Uh, no, you know what it is, John? That my biggest regret is as I'm getting older, I'm I'm doing like less, you know. But back in the day, man, I, I really thrived off of that type of stuff. But uh, you know, things, you know, as like again, it's I, I don't think I have the energy because I would try to help as many people as possible, but I hope I'm I'm still trying, but I don't think I can accomplish the mission as good. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> So Jake Paul is fighting Nate Diaz on August 5th, 2023, live on pay-per-view. Now, I like Jake Paul. I like his work ethic. But I have been sitting here finding myself rooting for all of these other athletes, ex-MMA fighters and the like, to beat this man, right? And... Yeah, Tommy Fury beat him, and that's all well and good. But I hope Nate Diaz can find a way to beat him. Nate Diaz is about a two or three to one underdog against Jake Paul. It's going to be at 185 pounds. What are your thoughts on Nate Diaz's chances to spring the upset against Jake Paul here in three or four months? Yeah, well, let me just address why you feel the way you feel, right? Because you got a young guy who's picking guys that are way past their prime that have never put on a pair of boxing gloves. That's why you're rooting against them, because 
he might be a nice guy, but his genius is in picking his opponents. Like Nate Diaz is a 55 pounder who went up to 170. Now he's boxing at 185. Why not make it 250? Right. Like, this right. is this is the this is the issue. You know, you're not boxing Nate at 170. Now you even want that advantage because you're a bigger guy. Um, I could tell you again. I'm, I I go back. To this it's it's timing, right? Nate Diaz four or five years ago, a hundred percent to me wins that fight at one eighty five. You know, now we got to see what he has. He, you know, he's still going to be in there. And if he's what uh, uh, Evan Longoria just said, like he heard that he's still you know going, he's doing great in the gym and right. all of that stuff. If that's true, he's going to win the fight. You know, because he is going to bring it. He is going to try to outvolume the guy. He's going to make him work. But, um, you know, like, again, it's everything. This is why you're rooting against him, whether you like him, you don't like him, because everything is in his favor. Age, weight, you know, just you name it, he's got it cornered. You know what I mean? Like, did anybody think Ben Askren was going to win that fight? You know, and I, and I think I love Ben Askren. I think he was, you know, obviously his wrestling is superior, but the guy couldn't break an egg in the UFC. If he was mounted on you, he couldn't hurt you. Why would anybody think he was winning that fight? People were saying his his Olympic mentality or his wrestling. How does that, where does that even play in? You got to be able to hurt a guy. You got to be able to have some defense. You know what I mean? So. This is why I think is it, first of all, is that the <laughs> No, I mean I took boxing lessons for two years and I feel like, you know, I could realize some success against Ben Askren if I put a training camp on the front end of it, with all There's due respect no, no in that competitive it. setting. Ben Askren didn't have a chance. The Jake Paul Ben Askren fight, that was one of the greatest betting opportunities of my lifetime. Without Tyron Woodley certainly had a chance. Anderson Silva had a chance, but most people would argue Ben Askren um, as one of the, 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 the lesser strikers in the history of the ultimate fighting championship. So yeah, what I, I think he'll tell you that. Yeah. That's what I love about him. He's the first guy to tell you that. I, I think I was at a Bellator fight years ago when he was start with, he, he said, can somebody help me with my striking? You know, he definitely, yeah, right. He's that's that's what you love about him. That's a that's an honest guy. As whereas the other guys always maneuvering and hoodwinking these guys into it. I just so to me, and again, this is where I go crazy with the athletic commissions because they're supposed to level the playing field, make sure everything's safe. But then they let crap like this go on, and you go, yeah, but who cares? You know yeah. what I mean? This is this is what happens. So uh, technically, that fight should have never even happened. So there are certain boxers <clears throat> that are appointment viewing for me. I buy all their pay-per-views. Ryan Garcia, the heavy, yeah. I guess, Tyson Fury, not necessarily Deontay Wilder. I'm always buying their yeah. fights when they are fighting. But Cody's telling me that this Jake Paul Nate Diaz fight will be the best-selling boxing fight of 2023, and that's the issue with boxing now. Is that going to be the biggest pay-per-view of the year on the boxing side? You I, mean, know, I don't I don't follow it enough, yeah. but I could see it being a big look. Yeah. Nate's got a big following. This kid's got a big following. Why wouldn't it be? I'll I buy mean, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll definitely buy it. I though. may try to go. Yeah. But you want to go with this. me? Yeah. You want to go? Yeah. You want to go to Jake Paul, <laughs> Nate Diaz, me and you in Dallas? Let's do it. All right. I'll bring I'm my 209 in. tattoo. <laughs> I think, but you're going because you love Nate Diaz, too. Correct. Right? I mean, that's that's the, you know, everybody loves Nate Diaz. I'm in. Huh. 
If you're only listening, I'm holding up a great piece of artwork in my office of Nate Diaz. This is a little bit better than the Kenny Florian photo I showed earlier in the week. How about this piece of art? Man, that's really good. Who did that? I want to say it's like Tipple or Tippet. Uh, he's going to kill me for getting his name wrong, but a really great piece. This is his big shot, and they, we can't get his name right. Ha! Huh. Well... Hey, I'll get his name right in the future. He's going to see this. I follow him on social media, but that's a great Nate Diaz piece. And uh, yeah, that, look, that, that picture, that, and we, we got the, did a great job. We got the Ross Who's- Baines, Max Holloway piece behind me. How about this one? Oh, man. So this was sent to me because I suggested that what Max Holloway did against Calvin Cater in 2021 was the greatest singular performance in UFC history. No fighter has thrown nor landed more strikes in a mixed martial arts contest ever. And here's the Ross Baines piece of artwork for you. Wow. Love it. Wow, look at that, man. Really, really nice. But of course, That's Tyson Shadier and my guys from the New England cartel have taken <laughs> issue with the fact that... uh that my guy Cal is uh, is in my office all bloodied and battered. But Max Holloway fights this weekend. Arnold Allen, who do you like? Uh, my twin brother likes that. Arnold Allen. Everybody else yeah. likes Max Holloway. You know, I tell you, for, for I mean, like, I, Allen, look, he's definitely squared away. Uh, he's a great fighter. Let's say he's a big test for him, I think, obviously. But, uh, you know, does Holloway still have it? You know, I thought, you know, Cato was going to, win that fight. And I thought that was one of the best fights Holloway ever had. You know, I just amassed another master, masterful performance. Uh, I just think experience wise, I'm going to go with, uh, with Holloway. All right. And the last thing I had in my notes for you today, we have seen when it comes to city kickboxing and Trevor Whitman's team that their athletes have been given the chance to compete on the same cards multiple times over. Now, when it comes to the Anzac contingent, it's a little bit different, right? Kai Kata-France and Alexander Volkanovsky and Israel Adesanya, they're all traveling long distances essentially for every fight. But you have noticed at times with Rose Namajunas and Justin Gaethje and, Tra- and Kamar Usman all competing on the same card. So you got Frivola and Aljo at UFC 288, but we got to get to a point, Raymond, where you got Aljo and Mayrab and Frivola competing on the same card. I mean, if anybody should has earned that, it's you. And I think for May Robin Aljo, before they retire, and Dennis Bazooka, I think that would be a really enjoyable thing for them to compete on a fight card together. I tell you, I never thought of it like that. That's pretty cool, though. But uh, I mean, I'll tell be- you, we've even, for Trevor Whitman, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. listenership really mad at me on Monday because I cut off Ken Flo all the time. It was only because we had audio <laughs> issues. I actually never cut the guy off. But at times, we've actually manipulated the bout order so that Trevor Whitman might have time between fights. Remember when Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, oh, was whoa. the first fight of the night? You know, yeah, well, on the I think that, that, that they, they have to do that, though. I think that makes a big difference. You yeah. know what I mean? If, you know, but uh, look, when Matt won the title against GSP in 2007, I had Sarah... Pete Drago, Sell, and Luke Homo all That's fighting cool. on the same night. So That's it was good. Cool. I mean, yeah. I think we, you know, and obviously on the local scene, you have five guys fighting. So it's not yeah. out of the question. But when the fights are of a bigger magnitude like that, I, you, you're bringing up a great point. That would be awesome. Aljo and Marab on the same card. You know what well, I mean? Well, and I think it, it can be as simple as Aljo gets through this fight and then maybe you guys really try to see if there's a way for you guys to, to do that. 
this is a huge fight for that reason, you know, moving forward. You know, we're going to a lot of things are going to clear up and uh, I think it's all going to work out great. But that would that would be awesome. That really would be would be fantastic. You have Marab fight Corey Sandhagen or Cheeto Vera or maybe even Umar Nurmagomedov if you want that fight. And then Aljo could be defending his title against one of those other guys, you know? I don't know where this Umar just injected himself into the into the title picture or whatever picture he's putting himself Why into. Why wouldn't Marab take that fight? I, I, but the thing is, it's, I got I to tell you, so what, when, when was Marab's fight? Do you read it? Can you look? Yeah, How March 11th. March, March 11th. So you know what they do? They call him the next week. That's a five-round fight where he was unbelievable. Injured going right? in, though. Injured yeah. going in. Injured going in. Uh, who, you know, they call him. They say they want him to fight May 13th. I mean, <laughs> the guy would the, the had The main event in Charlotte? Yeah, they want him to fight May 13th. The guy just got done fighting. I'm like, who the fuck makes that phone call? Like, well, well, what? I go, what a nice guy. So he's got to go right back into camp. He takes a week off, and then you throw him right back in there. Like, Against a guy to, ranked seven, eight, nine. Right. And now you got him. Umar, you know, hey, get well soon. Like, he's fighting the guy. Like, the, the fucking whole thing is bullshit. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Is it me? I'm not even going to say anything. I'm well, just no, saying, I know you try to stay in your lane. And right. you're not a manager, but I'd imagine cooler heads would prevail and somebody like yourself or Matt Serra would be uh, like, Marab, you're not fighting on fucking May 13th. Oh, well, they know Marab probably will fight every day of the week if, right. you, if you offer it to him. But his manager called me and we I was actually laughing. I go, yeah, this is a joke, right? Why not just make it April, April 7th? <laughs> Let's have him fighting two. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's crazy. May 13th, so you got to go back in in April. So it was March 13th, so you take two weeks off. I, look, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, they obviously somebody doesn't like Marab. And, uh, like, again, I don't know where Umar even comes into this conversation, but he has to definitely fight somebody first. And that, that would be my opinion. And work your way up like everybody else did. But just imagine for a second, September Vegas pay-per-view moving night in the Bantamweight division. Aljamain Sterling defending his belt against Sean O'Malley. Co-headliner Corey Sanhagen versus Mirab Dwalishwili. Cheeto Vera versus Piotr Jan in the featured bout. You build out a whole uh, card of the Bantamweights. I love it. I be love fire. it. I think that, <laughs> that's why you got to be the matchmaker, John. Come on. But that would be that would be outstanding. That would be awesome. And uh, I think we're heading towards that, man. I, I feel it. You know, so all good stuff. All right, brother. Well, we have uh, taken enough of your time this week. Much obliged. We will be back with you on Monday as we look at Max Holloway, Arnold Allen, and then look ahead to uh, Sergey Pavlovich and Curtis Razor Blades. But we appreciate your time. We appreciate your bad boy shirt. And uh, I don't know, this long go, <laughs> there's two long goes now. I have two long goes in my life right now. It's going to be a tricky navigation for me. Uh, so is that, wait, is that his nickname? Long yeah. Go? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Hey, when you get off the air, go Google uh, Evan Longoria career earnings. Make oh, you feel wow. real good. Yeah, no, he's done really well. I, you know, he's I, every the man. time I go, every time <laughs> I go to do that, I keep straying towards Eva Longoria. I don't All know right. why, yeah. but it just happens. Can I we get, get Eva? Can we get Eva Longoria on the show? We will try. We will effort that. All right. Yeah, awesome. her, her career earnings probably better than Evans. Hey, thank you, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. All right.
You're the best, John. Thanks, buddy. All right, there he is, Ray Longo, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Hope you enjoyed uh, the bonus content this week. Just felt like we needed to dive a little bit deeper on UFC 287. And uh, Evan Longoria is one of so many Major League Baseball players that absolutely love the UFC and mixed martial arts. And a lot of them are high-profile guys. Blake Snell of the San Diego Padres, former Cy Young Award winner, huge UFC fan. And uh, a lot of our listeners know about Trevor Story and Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers Jr. Correa and Lance McCullers Jr. actually did a podcast together when they were Astros teammates. So uh, I did ask Evan Longoria about working together, and I think he wants the focus to be on the field at least until he retires. But I do think... Evan Longoria is going to be heard from in the MMA space uh, at the end of his career. All right. Thanks to Ray Longo. Thanks to Evan Longo Longoria. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrill. Put it all together. And we'll be back with you next Monday. Full recap of Max Holloway and Arnold Allen. And of course, more predictions coming your way in advance of the UFC Fight Night coming up on April 22nd. Don't forget full episodes of the Anakin Florian podcast on the video side can be found on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips still available on the AF channel as are full-length episodes of Remember the Show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik. Cody Merrill, thank you very much. I'm John Anik signing off for now. We'll talk to you Monday morning live on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Until then, health greater than wealth. You later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.